God bless you guys, man. Hey, my name is Steve Husky, lead pastor of Faith Church. I just want to say welcome to everybody, man. We're so glad that you're here, decided to show up at our Florence campus. Can we show some love and welcome everybody in Lawrenceburg and everybody in our Shoals campus? Everybody watching online, it's good to have you guys here. Listen, two things before I jump into the message. First of all, just want to give a huge shout-out, celebration, and thank you for all of you who participated and have been participating in our Kingdom Builders Initiative. We, again, we set a goal. It was actually not 677, it's $766,000. We were a little over $500,000 going into last weekend. And in just about the last seven days, starting last Sunday, Faith Church family, you have shown up big and given over $270,000 to Kingdom Builders. So we are over the $700,000 mark. So man, thank everybody for uh, participating and being a part of that. Again, let me just remind you what that is. Obviously, we've been watching the news, and we know some tornadoes, unfortunately, hit four states. Kentucky was a big part of that. And one of our primary Kingdom Builder partners, Convoy of Hope, are already on the scene. They're there providing assistance and food and water, cleanup efforts. And so you make that possible through your giving and through your generosity. So thank you. So again, just want to celebrate all of you. Thanks for being a part of that. Just a reminder, if you are not a giver here, man, this is a great opportunity for you to get on board with something great. We are taking God's gospel, man, all across this world through our partners. We're helping practically with people in need. And so if you've not given, you can get on board, continue to give. Help us get to our goal of $766,000 by the end of 2021. Also, man, second thing real quick, want to give a shout out. Last weekend, we had our first interest meeting for our Shoals campus in Muscle Shoals High School where we're going to be meeting. And we had over 180 people show up to that. Come on, somebody. That's exciting. And so they are currently meeting. They've moved out of Pastor Ryan's living room, and now they're joining us at a brand-new venue that they're going to be in for several months until we launch officially the campus in Muscle Shoals High School in March of 2022. And so for all of you who are, again, kingdom builders, all, what you do is making the gospel matter. You're helping us to reach out. So, man, we celebrate the Shoals campus. Come on, let's show them some love. It's good to have you guys with us. Well, listen, we are in a series we started last week entitled Putting the Sea in Christmas. What is the C in Christmas? For a lot of us, it is commercialism. A lot of us, it's celebrations, it's Christmas cards, it's carols, it's choirs. It's a lot of things that Christmas means to us. And what I wanted to do through this series is to lean into a verse that we're looking at for all three weeks of this series that the Apostle Paul talks about and helps us maybe to understand really what Christmas is about. So what we've been talking about is last week, the context of Christmas Today, the content of Christmas, and next week, we're going to talk about the connection of Christmas. Here's the verse we've been looking at. I want us together at all of our campuses, everybody online, I want us to read Galatians 4.4, these, these first six words. Come on, read it together with me. But when the right time came, come on, everybody read that. But when the right time came, what we found out last week is, is that the coming of Christ was a culmination of promises, that Jesus, God's son, just didn't pop up unexpectedly. It wasn't just a moment in time that happened and nobody knew it was coming. What we found out is, is ultimately this idea that the context of Christmas is the timing of God. That for hundreds and thousands of years, God was working in the background to provide the exact setting and scene for Jesus, his son, to show up into. That God was preparing us for the gospel. God was proving in us and showing in us a need for us to hear the good news before the good news came. And God was preparing the world to be able to broadcast and share this good news. And so again, it was all about the timing that there was the right time for God to show up. The idea for you is that God is working in your life and you may not always see him and you may not always understand his timing. 
But inevitably, God is working in the background and the scene of our life, and he's got a right time for you to do what he has planned for you. Come on, we just got to celebrate him and trust that our God's timing is absolutely, impeccably perfect. Everybody say perfect. And so the rest of this verse goes on, and this is where we're going to go today. So the first six, six words, but when the right time came, come on, I want us to say these next four words together. God sent his, one more time, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us into his very, as his very own children. So I just want to lean into this conversation about the content of Christmas. And again, it's this idea that God sent his son, these four powerful words, God sent his son. But let me ask you a question. When you think of Christmas, what do you think of? When you hear the word Christmas, what immediately comes to mind? Probably for many of us, there's a range of emotions for some of us, Christmas is a difficult time. It's a reminder of the money we don't have to spend. It's a reminder of how difficult finances are. A lot of us, we lost loved ones in 2021. So as we approach the holiday season, it's a reminder of people who are no longer with us. So a lot of us, understandably, we have heavy hearts. But for most of us and many of us, even who've gone through tough times, Christmas is a reminder of a lot of good things. Right? When I think of Christmas, I think of family recipes. I think of cousins and aunts and uncles that I don't get to see another time of the year. Right? I think of Christmas trees, dirty Santa presents, present exchanges, decorations, lights on houses. Come on, there's a lot of good things that I love to celebrate with the Christmas season. Who's with me? And so there's a lot of things that come to mind. But even for religious people, church people, people of faith. Right? We think of those things and we think of Mary and Joseph and we think of Bethlehem and we think of the manger and but while we think of all those things, here's what I want us to lean into today is I think we tend to think of all these other things that at the end of the day aren't the things that matter most. And as long as you're focusing on those things, while there's nothing wrong with those things, we need to make sure that all those other things are pointing back to what matters most. The main thing is what matters most. Let me just tell you what I'm talking about. How many people like a good movie in the movie theater? You like a good movie in the movie theater? I love it. Uh, if, you're, if you're waiting on a movie, there's lots of movies coming out. If you happen to be waiting on one, just tell your neighbor real quick, what's the movie you're waiting on in the end of 2021 or 2022? You, you got one? I'm waiting on Matrix Resurrection Part 4. Come on, baby, Neo in bullet time. That's all I got, 50. That's as limber as I am right there. That's like semi-bullet time. Right, I can't wait. It's coming out December 22nd. There's something really cool about the movie theater experience. And there's lots to it. I want you to think about all the different components that make it an event or make it an outing. Right? We go there, we walk into the venue, and there's nothing like the popcorn smell. You know, man, and you got to get you some popcorn, and as long as you're paying $9 for a bucket of popcorn, you might as well 12, get, pay 12 and get the whole ginormous bucket. And there's nothing better than fountain soda. Right, and you get you a super ginormous big gulp and you drink every drop of it because it costs you nine dollars. Come on, who's with me? And I can't, I'm just gonna be honest with you, I can't pay the 700% markup on the milk duds. I sneak those in, I thief those in. Come on, where's all my thieves at? So when I go to the movie, the AMC's making it come up, and so is Dollar General. They both get paid. So you go in and you get your popcorn and you go in and you get your soda and you get your milk duds or whatever it is you eat and you go in and you sit down and watch and I get there early because I love all the previews and all those things are really great. But one thing happened, it's been happening for a while, but it exponentially increased the awareness that people don't really need the theater. COVID, while many businesses are bouncing back from COVID, the movie industry is having a hard time because people found out I can watch movies at home. 
I can get a better seat. I can get good popcorn. I don't have to wait for it to start. I can watch it on demand at my time. If I need to go to the bathroom, I don't miss anything. I just hit pause. So they found out that you can stay home and watch it. But wait, wait, wait. Movie executives are holding out hope that lots of us are going to return to the movie theater because while you can duplicate the popcorn and duplicate the soda and duplicate the candy and duplicate, there's something you can't duplicate, and that is the million-dollar IMAX experience, that your home TV cannot produce the screen size and and the 12,000 watts that exists in in a theater system. They're counting on you coming back because at the end of the day, it's not the popcorn and it's not the soda and it's not the candy and it's not the see. What makes a movie an experience is the movie. Come on somebody that is the main thing so you can enjoy the other stuff but without the movie the other stuff don't matter where's all my football fans at sec territory i'll give it to you you get two and that's all you get roll tide you got you a heisman winner that's all you get you're not getting another one go buckeyes are coming back next year go balls war eagle and I, we, got, we got a Bulldog fan in the back. I talked to him today. Go Bulldogs. Now, think about everything that goes into an incredible football experience for all the football fans, right? Think about walking into the stadium. If, if you've never been, there's nothing like the live stadium experience of 80 to 110,000 ravenous fans celebrating and shouting and clapping. The cheerleaders on the sideline pushing the cheer, celebrating the team. People wearing jerseys, crazy fans painting their bodies and wearing crazy hats, players' guides. There's this incredible experience. There's nothing like the marching band. I love the marching band almost as much as anything. But all those things are peripheral things. The main thing is the football game. If there's not a football game, cheerleaders don't come and fans don't show up. What I'm telling you is there's nothing wrong with all of the cheerleaders and the, and the uniforms. There's nothing wrong with all those things, but the main thing is the game. There's nothing wrong with popcorn and soda, but the main thing is the movie. There's nothing wrong with Christmas trees and trading cards and having presents exchanged, but the main thing, come on somebody, the main thing is Jesus. The content of Christmas is Christ. So while we lean into this conversation today, and again, I don't think there's anything wrong with the things we look to and the things we look forward to and some of the things we dread. But I think if, especially as people of faith, I think it's important that we come back and we celebrate what appropriately needs to be celebrated. And that at the center of your Christmas celebration, you remember that the content of Christmas is Christ. And so I want to lean into a conversation. There's a verse I want us to read today. It's found in Matthew chapter 1, and it's part of the Christmas story. And if you've been in church for a long time, you've heard this verse. And if you're kind of new to church, you probably still heard this verse, maybe on a Christmas card or you watched it in a Hallmark Christmas movie if you're one of those people. Yeah, I said it that way. No, you notice they don't ever claim they're one either. Don't nobody's like, I'm a Hallmark fan. They're like, Don't do it. Don't do it. Pull your man card right quick. (laughs) Have have security usher you out. (laughs) Matthew chapter 1. Here's what you need to read. Here's what you need to read. This is the angel talking to Joseph about the soon coming birth of Jesus. And what I want you to pay attention to is what the angel is saying is what's about to happen is the fulfillment of prophecy. Everybody say prophecy. Prophecy is a word that's spoken beforehand Something that somebody knows is going to come to pass that hasn't come to pass that will come to pass because God said so. Watch this. Here's the prophecy. 
Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. And she will have, this is the angel speaking to Joseph about Mary, and she will have a son, and you're to name him. What's his name? Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Is anybody thankful that we have a Savior who saved us when we couldn't save ourselves? All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Read that again. All of this occurred to do what? To fulfill the Lord's message through his Here's the prophecy. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So again, Jesus being born was the fulfillment of a prophecy. And one of the best-kept secrets of Christianity is all of the prophecies that have been fulfilled. A lot of times people who struggle with their faith or they wonder, is God real? One of the places that you can lean into to substantiate your faith or to look into to build your faith is, again, all of the prophecies that have been fulfilled. Things that God has spoken that then in decades or in centuries were since then fulfilled. And there's lots of them. But did you know that Jesus himself fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies about how he would live, how he would die, and many of them were fulfilled about his birth. This is one of them. Now, what's so, uh, what's so astounding about that is, for example, just, where Jesus, just how Jesus, uh, his birth, there are prophes, uh, prophecies about who he would be, where he would be born, the parents he'd be born to, about when he would be born, all of these things that Jesus had absolutely no control over. Mathematicians have looked into the probability of a person, one single person fulfilling prophecies, forget 300. One mathematician did the work, and he said if one person even fulfilled just seven of the prophecies, what's the likelihood of a person fulfilling just seven of the prophecies Jesus fulfilled? It borders on the level of improbability to reach the place of impossibility. And Jesus didn't fulfill seven. He fulfilled 300. And I just want this morning to look at just one. And I just gave you the fulfillment of it in Matthew chapter 1. What I want to do today is I want us to go back in time about 700 years, 730 years to be exact. When Isaiah the prophet spoke this prophecy in the book of Isaiah, I want us to look at the background of when this prophecy that Jesus would be born of a virgin and his name would be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And it's found, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 7. If you don't have your Bible, you don't love Jesus, but you can look at the screens. Is he kidding? Maybe. Anyways, so here's the story. Let me introduce you real quick while we lean into this. I'm just going to tell you it's going to get heavy for a minute. Just ride with me through the journey. We're going to go through some history, and I know people don't like history. It's my job to try to make it interesting. I'm going to give you some geography, and I don't even like geography, but we're going to tie some geography in, and we're going to try to tell this story that 730 years before the prophecy was fulfilled, the prophecy was made. And we need to see the background of this prophecy because it will profoundly change your life if you lean into the story. First of all, let me introduce you to four characters besides Isaiah the prophet. I already told you about him. Isaiah is a prophet who spoke on behalf of God and said things that were not yet fulfilled, what would be fulfilled. This prophecy was spoken by Isaiah. Here's four other characters you need to know about. First of all is Ahaz. What's his name? Ahaz is the king of Judah. Let me tell you about Judah. God's people lived in the promised land that God gave them. It was called the nation of Israel. Several centuries in, there was a falling out. There was a fight. Just like you have family fights, they had a family fight within a nation, and it split the nation. They were no longer the nation of Israel. Now they were two tribes. There was one tribe. King Ahaz was the king of Judah. That was the southern tribe. And then the second king was the king of Israel, the northern tribe. So Israel broke into two separate 
components, the northern tribe of Israel and the southern tribe of Judah. Who was the king of Judah? Come on, y'all. Who was the king? You guys stick with me. If you're already off the train, we're in trouble. So you have, one, you have one nation that now is divided into two kingdoms, the kingdom of Israel in the north and the kingdom of Judah in the south. The king of Judah is, one more time, Ahaz. Two other players in the game, two outside nations. One was uh, this nation, it was the nation of Aram. Aram was also known as Syria, but we're going to call it Aram because it'll, it'll help with confusion a minute. So this other kingdom, the kingdom of Aram or Aram, they were there as well. And then at this time, the global empire on the world stage was the Assyrian Empire. So you have the king of the Assyrians, you have the king of Aram, you have the king of Israel, and you have the king of Judah. Those are our four players. Are you tracking with me? Now, here's the setup. Let me show you two maps. So again, here's a map of the, two, the, the nation of Israel that, not, that is now divided. You have the northern kingdom, Israel. You have the southern kingdom in light blue. That's the kingdom of Judah where Ahaz is the king. In that brown section was the kingdom of Aram, three of the players. Now let's zoom way out. Now you zoom out all of this green that you're looking at in the next map. This is the empire of Assyria. This is a global butt-kicking empire. All they do is kick butt and, and, and take names. That's all they do. Are you all with me? They're big, bad, they're large, and they're in charge. And Aram and Judah and Israel are list small nobodies. Here's the story. Israel and Aram, they form a coalition. They're tired of getting pushed around by Assyria. And they decide they're going to push back, but they recognize they don't have enough clout to push back. So the king of Israel and the king of Aram approach the king of Judah, whose name is approaches Ahaz, and they invite Ahaz to be a part of their coalition. They say, hey, us three, if we will join an alliance, we will form an alliance, we can push back against the empire of Assyria, and we can keep them from overtaking our lands. Well, the king of Judah, whose name was, he was forced kind of into a dilemma. The dilemma was this. If I follow the advice of these two guys and join their alliance, we're going against the largest global empire ever. There's no chance we're going to win. We're going to get our butt handed to us. There's no way I'm joining them. But if I don't join them, then they're going to come against me, and I'm going to have a fight on my hand either way. So he rolls the dice, and he chooses rather to fight two smaller enemies rather than one large global enemy. And exactly what his concern is happens. When he turns down and he declines the offer of a coalition with Israel and with Aram, immediately these two nations begin to attack the border towns of the southern kingdom, Judah. And in the north, Israel pushes down and starts to attack, and the fight is on, and he sends out military forces, and villages start to get taken over. In the northeast and the east, the kingdom of Aram start to push in against the kingdom of Judah. On the, on, the, on the border town, same thing happens. Fights break out. Scrimmages break out. People get killed. He sends forth troops. And when it doesn't look like it can get any worse, all of a sudden word gets to King Ahaz that they're now going to push in together, and they're going to come after the capital city of Judah called Jerusalem. And Ahaz is beside himself because he knows there's no way he can fight this battle and win. There's no way anything he can do to stop them from coming. Now, here's what you need to know is many of the kings were God's kings. They were God's chosen people because the nation of Israel was God's chosen people. And many of the people who were in that position will call to God. God, will you help us? God, will you show up? Will you rescue us from our enemies? But here's what you need to know about King Ahaz. Is it decades before this story happened, King Ahaz turned his back on God. He forsook the law. He stopped offering sacrifices. He stopped following the God of Israel. Instead, he turned his back on God, and he invited all of these idols of neighboring communities into his city, 
and into his nation. And he set up false idols that were worshipped by the people of the nation of Israel. Let me just tell you this, by the way. If you're a person of influence and authority, if you're a principal, if you're a teacher, if you're a coach, if you're a parent, if you're a boss, if you're an employer, not just an employee, then you carry authority. You better be careful where you go because people are following you and they'll lead you where you are. Come on, somebody. Or they'll, they'll follow you where you are. Be careful with your influence. And so this king, he leads the entire kingdom of Judah astray. This king was so wicked that he sacrificed his own sons to false gods. And so he knew his back was against the wall. There's nothing he could do. He was about to be attacked. He was about to be overcome. And he knew he couldn't call out to God because I gave up on God. I walked away from God. I threw in the towel on God. I don't even know if I believe in God. And in the midst of darkness and hopelessness, God showed up. Come on, y'all better be excited today. I'm telling you, you can run from God all you want. God will keep pursuing you because he loves you even when you don't love him. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 7, in the midst of this battle that's coming to overtake the capital city of Jerusalem with his back against the wall, Isaiah the prophet shows up, and here's where it starts. Watch this. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 7, it says, But this is what the sovereign Lord says. This invasion will never happen. It'll never take place. Some of you ought to get excited about that word because the thing you thought was going to happen and the destruction you thought it was headed your way or the difficult season you thought you were going to step into, you just need to believe that this is your word too, that come on, this invasion, it's not going to happen. Everybody say it's not going to happen. You just need to believe God for good things in your life. Amen? Amen. So here's the word is, basically Isaiah says, the thing you've been struggling with, the thing you're afraid of, God says, I'm not going to let it happen. Isn't that good news? So he gets all excited, but... If you read the story, you find out that he already knew because Ahaz had another plan. Watch this. He approaches, Isaiah continues to talk to me, says this, ask the Lord your God for a sign of confirmation, Ahaz. Make it as difficult as you want, as high as heaven or as deep as the place of the dead. Isaiah, on behalf of God, is offering Ahaz something pretty phenomenal. He says, Ahaz, you probably think God's given up on you. So if you want to know God's on your side, ask him for a sign. Ask him for any sign. Ask him for the most outrageous sign you can think of. And God's promise is he'll fulfill the sign to prove to you that he's on your side and he'll fight for you. Now, the nation of Israel has this incredible history of God doing incredible things. There is a long list of signs that God has already given the nation of Israel through hundreds of years. This is the same God that turned, blood, turned water into blood in the nation of Egypt when they were slaves. This is the same God that parted the waters of the Jordan River and they walked on dry ground. This is the same God that provided manna from heaven and quail. This is the same God who sent angels to fight their enemies, the Amalekite. Like God has an endless line and list of miracles that he's consistently done for his people. And God says, go ahead and just name one and I'll do it for you. What would you ask God to do if he said, just name a sign and I'll do it? Kind of an amazing check you could write, huh? Watch this, verse 12. What would you do? Here's what King Ahaz did. With his back against the wall, his enemies pressing in with the offer of God's help. Here's how the king responded. But the king refused. No, he said, I will not test the Lord like that. Sounds very sanctimonious, doesn't it? Like, oh, King Ahaz, no, I don't want to test God. Like, hey, if God's on my side, great. No, that's not his heart. God stepped in and was offering Ahaz a second chance. He was offering Ahaz help. He was offering to be the God that God said he would always be to his people. He said, Ahaz, I'll help you if you want my help. 
And Ahaz, when he told God, no, I don't want to sign, is because he already had another plan. His plan wasn't to trust the Lord. His plan was to trust the king of Assyria to come to his rescue against his enemies. In 2 Kings chapter 6, uh, you can read, I'm sorry, chapter 16, you can read King Ahaz's response to the king of Assyria. Check this out. 2 Kings 16 verse 7. King Ahaz sent messengers to King Tiglath. We just rather call him the Tiger King. Come on, y'all. King Ahaz sent messengers to the Tiger King of Assyria with this message. Here was the message. I am your servant and your vassal. Come up and rescue me from the attacking armies of Aram and Israel. What he was saying was, I'm not going to trust God. I'm not going to put my faith in God. I'm not going to put my hope in God. I would rather put my hope in this wicked king, the tiger king, than to put my faith in God. Here's a question for all of us today is, what are you putting your trust in? What are you putting your hope in? Anything you place your hope and your trust in outside of God is idolatry. And there's nothing wrong with trusting friends or talking to doctors or talking to a I'm not talking about like practical, relevant help in the world that God's given us. I'm saying at the end of the day, if your heart and your hope is not in the living God, then you, are have, a, you have a heart that's divided in idolatry. And Ahaz said, I'm not going to follow God. I'm not going to turn to him. I'm going to turn to this other king to help me. And here's where the prophecy comes. Are you all ready? In this stage, God offers help. Ahaz stiff arms God. He thumbs his nose to his creator. He says, there's no way I'm trusting you. Here was God's response. Check this out. Verse 13 and verse 14. Then Isaiah said, listen well, you royal family of David. All the kings were of the line of David. Listen well, you royal family of David. Isn't it enough to exhaust human patience? Must you exhaust the patience of my God as well? All right, then, you ready? The Lord himself will give you a sign. Ahaz, you don't want to ask for a sign? I'm going to give you a sign anyways. You won't pick a sign? God says, I'll pick a sign. What God is saying is, you don't want me involved? I'm going to be involved anyways. You don't want to participate in my plan? That's fine, but I have a plan anyways. And here it is. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel, which means God's with us. I hope you all are tracking with me. God is saying, listen, I wanted to help you. You didn't want my help. I offered a sign to show you I'm on your side, and you refuse to have a sign because you want to go your own direction. That's fine. God says, I'm going to set a sign anyways. I'm putting a plan in motion anyways. I'm working whether you want to be a part of it or not anyways. And out of this conversation, Isaiah the prophet goes on through Isaiah chapter 8. You can read it. And he tells this king, King Ahaz, the rest of what's going to happen. He says, King Ahaz, go ahead and do your thing. God's going to do his thing, but here's what's going to happen. God's going to use the nation of Syria to judge your immediate enemies, Israel and Aram. And then God's going to turn around and judge this wicked empire that nobody thinks could ever be defeated because they're so big. God's going to use another nation to judge them. And then God's going to judge you because you refuse to turn your heart to the Lord. And you follow history, then this is exactly what happens. God always keeps his word. Everybody say that. God always keeps his word. The Assyrian army pushes down against Israel and Aram wipes out the nation of Aram, goes and pushes against the nation of Israel, and for the next 12 years, under constant and consistent battle, they absolutely get decimated, and they surrender to the Assyrian Empire. In 722 BC, the nation of Assyria takes the kingdom of Israel captive, exports some of the best and the brightest, and imports all of these immigrants until the bloodline of the nation of Israel is so polluted that they then become known as the Samaritans, which we read about in the New Testament. They are looked down upon, is discriminated against as half-bloods half-breeds. God continues. So he not only judges Aram, he not only judges Israel, but then he judges the Assyrian empire. 
the Assyrian Empire is overtaken not long after that by King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire. In 586 BC, the Babylonian Empire pushes all the way down through Israel, all the way down, and knocks on the door of the temple of the capital city, Jerusalem. And King Nebuchadnezzar destroys the walls of the city, destroys the temple, wipes out everything that has to do with the city of Jerusalem, and wipes out the nation, exports the best and the brightest into the capital city of Babylon. That's the story of Daniel. In 586 B.C., takes the nation captive. And just like God promised and just like God prophesied, God raised up a greater nation again that not only took over Assyria, which was Babylon, but then he raised up the, the Persians who took over Babylon. And then he raised up the Greeks who took over, uh, who took over uh, the Persians. Then he raised up the Romans who overtook then the Greeks. In over 700 years, people forgot the promise. In 700 years, most people forgot what Isaiah had prophesied in 735 B.C. And when everybody had forgotten... God fulfilled his final promise. God said, I got a plan whether you want to be a part of it or not. And God enacted his plan, and it went contrary to the plan of Ahaz. And God did exactly what he said he would do. In 730 years after the promise and the prophecy was made, you go back to Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Look, come on, y'all say look. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son, and they will call him, come on, read it, Emmanuel, which means God's with us. What is this holiday all about? This holiday is this idea that, come on, just, it's not just another baby that was born. Babies are born all the time. While babies are cute, and if you have a baby, or I have a baby, or our, people, our sons and daughters, like babies are born all the time. What makes this moment significant? The content of Christmas is Christ, which means that just not a baby was born, but God showed up 2,000 years ago and was born in a manger. Come on, God stepped out of heaven and into earth. God stepped out of eternity and into time, and divinity was wrapped in humanity. Come on, somebody. God put on our weakness so we could put on his strength. God wrapped himself in our sinfulness that so we could wrap ourselves in his righteousness. I wish somebody would be excited that God loved you enough to keep his promise and send his son, that God showed up 2,000 years ago. For a child is born. Here's the way Isaiah the prophet says it. All the way back, Isaiah 7, he makes the promise. He goes on in Isaiah 9, 6 and gives another prophecy that many of you have read on Christmas cards. And he tells us more about this son. He says this in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Watch this. He says, for a child is born. Everybody read this, all of our locations. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. You got to receive a gift that's given to make it yours. This is the gift. The government will rest upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. See, the whole power of this prophecy is this word, look. See, as a, as a nation and as a people, unfortunately, even the church, we are so busy looking at the things that don't really matter that we have missed what matters most. And that 2,000 years ago, God was born in a manger on a rescue mission to be Jesus, the Savior of our sins to be Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is what matters most in the holiday season, in the Christmas we celebrate. It's not all of these other things. Are y'all hear me? It's not all of these other things. It's, it's not about the shepherds. It's about the Savior. It's not about the angels. It's about the Almighty. It's not about the wise men. It's about the wonderful counselor. Come on, somebody. It's not about Joseph. It's about Jesus. It's not about Mary. It's about mighty God. Come on. It's not about the manger. It's about the master. It's not even about this prophecy. It's about the Prince of Peace, and that's what we celebrate in Christmas every year. We got to get back to the content of Christmas, which is who? Jesus. We're so busy 
passing by that sometimes we miss it. Nothing wrong with the things we celebrate as long as we don't miss the main thing that matters most. 2007, there was a social experiment that was put on. This company decided to do this experiment. They made a phone call, and they called this guy. His name was Joshua Bell. Joshua Bell at this time was one of the greatest violinists on the planet. He was a child prodigy. Like, this guy would blow your mind to hear him play. Again, at the time they contact him, he is the greatest violinist on the planet. And they ask him to show up in Washington, D.C., in the subway system to go down, to put on a hat, and begin to play. And so he takes part in this social experiment. He shows up, and he's busking. Busking, if you don't know, that's when musicians open up their, their, their cases and allow people to throw money in. And so Joshua Bell, the greatest violinist at this time, shows up, and he pulls out a Gibson Stradivarius, which is a $14 million violin, the greatest violinist playing one of the most rare instruments. And he pulls it out. This is a picture of him when this actually happened. And he begins to play in Station Square. And the experiment is that these people watch. In over an hour, about 1,100 people pass by Joshua Bell, the greatest violinist, playing the most rare instrument in the world. And once people pass by, all these people grab individuals, and they ask him, hey, we're doing an experiment, and we want to see how your transportation experience is. Can we call you tonight after you ride the subway and just interview and see how it was? And people are like, hey, yeah, you can do it. And so later that night, they contact the people that walk, walk by Joshua Bell playing his violin. And just FYI, again, about 1,100 people passed by. About 35 people stopped. I'm sorry, about 25 people stopped and watched, and he got $32.17 in the case. And when they contacted the people, they said, hey, the real social experiment wasn't how your ride was on the subway. We just want to ask you a few questions. Hey, did you happen to hear anybody playing a violin? Did you realize there was a violinist playing? The majority of people asked that they had no idea. There was a violinist? I, I didn't hear him. I didn't know that. The greatest violinist of the time playing the most rare instrument, the majority of people walking through the tunnel passed right by him and didn't even hear it. A handful of people said, I, you know, I thought I heard some music. I don't know, like this in the speaker system. You know, I had places to go, people to think about. Like, I thought I heard music, but I'm not really sure. One person out of the 1,100 recognized that it was Joshua Bell. The greatest violinist playing the most rare instrument got $32.17 and was recognized by one person. And this year, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people will walk by the holiday season. And we're going to walk right by Christ. And we're distracted and we're discouraged and we got stuff going on. And the reason for this season is that God loved you enough that he sent his very best. He showed up himself to be our savior and rescue us. The only solution for our sin isn't us. It's in him. And he showed up to lay down his life so you and I could go where he is. Come on. Is anybody thankful for that? So here's a thought I want to leave you. Here's the thought I want to leave you, is this idea that recognition requires a response. Recognition requires a response. The one person who recognized it was Joshua Bell gave $20 of the $32.17. Recognition requires a response. So as you recognize that it's not just another holiday, it's not just another season, with all the emotions that all of us carry, all the struggles that we'll walk through, but as we step into the fulfillment of a prophecy spoken 735 years ago that we have now been celebrating for 2,000 years that God sent his son, what is an appropriate response as you recognize the Messiah came for you? How do you appropriately respond to Jesus coming to be your savior? Father, we love you, God. I pray.
that God, in all of the, all the context and backstory, Lord, that I pray we wouldn't be overwhelmed by details. I pray, God, we would be overwhelmed by your love. God, I pray, help us to understand that, God, again, at the right time, you sent your son. Father, that you sent your very best. And, Lord, I pray, God, in all the distractions and all the busyness and all the things we have going on, all of our plans and all of our problems, that, God, we will see that you showed up for us. I pray, Father, we will not be like King Ahaz and we'll decline help from heaven. But I pray we will humble our hearts and we'll recognize our need for a Savior. Many of you who are hearing this message, man, you've already given your life to Jesus. But this is today is still a great opportunity to say, God, will you just, will you just tune my heart to you more? Will you help me to have an appropriate response to your love in my life? God showed up for you. He came for you. Some of you who are listening to this or watching this, you've never given your life to Jesus. You say, what does that mean? Again, a gift has been given to us. That's what Isaiah 9, 6 says. But you have to accept that gift for it to be yours. So the Bible says that if we'll humble ourselves, if we'll recognize we need help, unlike Ahaz, hey, God, I need help. Will you help me? I need forgiveness. Will you forgive me? If, if that's your heart, if you'll just tell God that, in your humility, he'll answer you. And he'll forgive you of whatever you've done. And he'll make you his child. And he'll change your life for eternity. And so I just want to lead this service in a simple prayer. And you can pray what I'm praying, or you can just say your own words to God, and he'll hear you. If you want to give your life to Jesus, or you want to recommit your life to him if you've fallen away, you can just say this. Say, Jesus, I believe that you're the Savior of the world, that you came to pay the price for my sin, to rescue me, to forgive me. So will you come into my heart? Will you forgive my sin? And will you be my savior? And give me strength to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agreed said amen.